0: So I spend a lot of time online, um, on Twitter in particular, and just two or three weeks ago I came across quite a flurry of activity around a book that has just been published. It's a book that charts the phenomenal rise of Hull City Football Club from the lower leagues right up into the premiership. The author of that book is Richard Garden, and Richard, thanks so much for coming in. Yep, thank you for having me. I have to get you into the studio. You're raising money with uh, this book for Dove House as well. That is correct, So I was quite keen, really. I love to support Dove House. Mm. Now, Richard, I'm perhaps one of the least sporty people you're ever (laughs) likely to meet, so I needed a sidekick for today, a little bit of help with the football-related questions. And I'm pleased to say Nick Quantrill, um, also an author and a very passionate supporter of Hull City, has joined us in the studio too. Thanks, Nick, for coming in. No, it's a pleasure. Okay. So, Nick, I'm actually going to um, hand over to you, perhaps. That's very kind of you, Jerome. Well, let, let's start then, Richard, with
1: the actual the book, although well, it's called The Decade. Mm. There's an awful lot of stuff in there about the previous times, only before the decade kicked in the, the 2000 uh, to 2010 period. So, kind of, what's the thinking there to give us that impression?
2: That was almost accidental, really.
1: Um, I,
2: I mean, just to sort of talk you back, my, I come from a family, my, my dad is a very keen folks on collector and he's very keen to get people's memories down to to sort of collect oral history. Um, So I think maybe I picked a little bit up from him and then in about uh, 2013 I read a couple of books, one about Muhammad Ali, one about the American Basketball Association in the 1970s that told stories in um like the oral history style, sort of speaking to the people who were there at the coalface, so to speak, and who um you know, uh, but, but intertwining that with a little bit of narration from the author. And and I just thought, you know, whole city have had this fantastic decade. Wouldn't it be great if somebody wrote a book about that, you know, about this decade that we've had, spoke to everybody involved, got it down so that it was just there and and, you know, for there for posterity really. Um so then after a few years I thought, well, Nobody else is doing it. Why don't I? So the intention was just to record that decade. Um, and I decided on the title, and I still, I still stand by it. Maybe the decades would have been better in, in retrospect. But, um, but so, so I sort of started interviewing. I got, I got Chris Chilton at first, and he was the first interview I did. He's um, Hull City's record goal scorer for the Uninitiated. For the he was a m- massive figure in the club in the 1960s and early 70s. Um, and, you know, you're chatting to somebody like Chillo, You can't not... Ask him about his career, and 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 you just sort of have that opportunity. And and at an early stage, I was speaking to some of my heroes when I started going from the uh, from the eighties. You know, the the sadly late Pete Skipper, who was fantastic, and people like Billy Whitehurst, Gareth Roberts, and and I just I just had all this all this stuff from their time there there. You know, so I, I just thought, well, I've got to a I've got to use it. You know, I can't have all of these brilliant stories and memories and not use them. But then I also thought having that coverage of the previous decades helps put into context why this decade was so special. There were those where, you know, there, there, there seemed to be sort of Hull City had two modes for the end going up to 2004 for the first century of their existence. There was either near misses such as under Ken Wagstaff, Chris Chilton in the 1960s and sort of in 1910 and under H. Carter in the fifties and things like that. Or there was just the absolute doldrums, particularly as, you'll be aware, Nick, in the 1990s. And I thought, well, if I cover that, that will set up that decade very nicely. I mean, it's, I could easily probably have released three books out of this, but it, I thought it having it, yeah, to yeah, it's, term, it's t- words and the average novel, I think is 90,000. 90. So, so, you know, li- literally three books worth of uh, stuff in there. Um, so, yeah, so once I got writing it, I, I did that and, and, and but I just, I wanted it all to be there as one. I want, I, I quite like, you know, I've written a lot for fanzines such as Amber Nectar. I like writing a lot and I do think that if it's done properly, there is a market there for it. Um, you know, the book's written, in a way where people can dip in and out of it you know if you're feeling a bit a bit sort of down or depressed you can read about you know you can read wagging chillist Chillo stuff or you can read the you know the back-to-back promotions or the wembley stuff or if you feeling a bit too happy and feeling a bit guilty you can read the decade about the 90s you know <laughs> it's like you've so so so. it doesn't necessarily ha- you don't have to sit down necessarily and read it cover to cover although it, it does seem judging by the feedback on on social media that lots of people are doing that yeah I think, it, I think i think just,
0: they have just on uh amazon the second review here that's that's written is mm. uh, someone's put i actually get quite emotional while reading it yeah, so You're getting this really emotional response to what you've written. I, I think that that's... Um, it, it, it is
2: because it's, you know, people's lives are entwined around sporting teams in a way that that you don't really get with much else in life. You know, I often think that, that football's popularity is explained to an extent, and, and all sports, is, is that as a child, it's the most grown-up thing you can do. And as a grown-up, it's the most childish thing you can <laughs> do. You know, it's like... Um, you know, and and I think that that you, you you go through so much. Football isn't just about turning up on a Saturday and watching twenty-two men kick a ball about. It's the friends you make. It's the memories you make. It's the the, the journeys to and from away games and things like that. And that's what I wanted the book to to help conjure up. It's the, those emotions. I didn't, you know, getting stories about people on the train home after the two thousand and eight playoff final and things like that that to me is like gold dust for the book cuz everybody saw Dean Windass's goal and every, and and you know getting that stuff in there's great but but you also want those those sort of slightly quirkier memories that, that a lot of people will have gone through and that, and, that, and that were part of that great occasion for these people, but, but don't, didn't necessarily get recorded at the time. And, and I think that's an important thing to get through when it comes to sort of supporting football teams in particular, you know, it's about more than just attending the game. And I hope that the book can help, can help with that really and help, help sort of get across a lot of those, those feelings and those memories.
0: I was actually uh, a youth worker up on Holderness Road um, mm. in the year that Hull City went up, 2008. Yes, yes, yes. You well just mentioned yes. it. So just, no, no, <laughs> yeah. I think you just mentioned it. It didn't come from my head. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, were you there in Victoria Square for the celebration event? Thousands. I
2: wasn't. Um, I, I, just to explain, I, I live in London um, and um, I, I just couldn't get back up for that. I, I just... Um, expanded so much emotional energy I was just absolutely drained for the rest of that weekend because I had lots of people staying at our house in in Cricklewood because it was just near Wembley Stadium where we lived at the time um and yeah it took me a long time to recover from that night out let's say (laughs) Uh, so so I couldn't get get to the um the celebrations I um one of the people who has been fantastic for the book is a chap called Dave Richardson who was a whole city photographer and he was um on a cherry picker above the above the crowds taking photos and I've got a few pictures in the book but his i mean i hope he can release a book at some point of the photos he's got because that day alone you know is uh is fantastic and i remember amazing. having to
0: uh drive up to holderness road or into east Hull to pick up some of the youths right. and and took mm. down into victoria square and coming back down into the city, the, um, just the, the sunlight, the, the sky, mm. the whole city seemed to be on fire, Yeah, actually. You know, mm. the, the, the sky seemed to reflect the colours of, mm. of the team that particular day. So it's one of those really vivid memories I've got.
2: And, and, and I think that, that day is an important one in that it, it shows how, and again, it's covered in the book, and it's something that Ian Ashby talks about in the foreword as well, just how the The fortunes of a football team can can reflect on a city, can give it a profile that that it 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 lacks. You know, I I remember in um, 2009, a friend of mine went to go trekking around Kenya, and she found herself in a in a hut in this remote village, and she sent me a photograph of everybody in this hut celebrating a whole city goal that we'd scored against Manchester United because everybody in this village in this remote area of Masai Mara wherever it was um were, we're Arsenal fans Arsenal was the village's team so they were supporting whoever was playing Manchester United I think we'd equalized if you remember the game mm. it was around Christmas um I think Craig Fagan had scored a penalty and just you know these surreal moments you know a load of villagers in Kenya support celebrating a whole city goal and and football gives the city that reach and that profile in a way that I don't think you know, it's nine impossible for a city the size of Hull to, to get in many other ways.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big successes of the book is that it kind of really takes you into the dressing room as well, on the football side of things. That, that sense of you saying, we all know Dino's girl at Wembley, mm. but... In the book, it feels like we're actually in the change room with the players as well, because you've kind of managed to get that really close access. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you think that. And there, there are some really good... I mean, there, there are two of that element. I don't, um, there are two sort of standout moments for me in that. There's, there's a great bit about uh, a punch-up that Ian Ashby and Mark Joseph had at halftime in a game against Swansea and, and little bits like that, that obviously, you know, if, if that had been released in the press at the time, it would have been front page of the whole Daily Mail and, you know, it would have been this big scandal when, you know, it didn't matter the it was one of those things that was over before it had started, and now we can look at it in a book like this in retrospect and and pretty much laugh at it. But and, and getting little insights like that, I think, is something that that as a reader, you know, you'll, you'll quite quite appreciate. But I think the other thing um, is the Phil Brown's halftime team talk, which, just to explain to people, um, Hull City in two thousand and eight had had the best year of the club's history by by an absolute distance. Players giving him absolutely everything. The club were on Boxing Day, the club were 4-0 down against Manchester City. Um you know, it was Manchester City had one player in their team who would cost more than every whole city player in the club's history combined. Um, And we were losing a game that we're always going to lose in truth. Um, Phil Brown kept the team out on the pitch. And, and, you know, I I don't know if you remember Nick, but at the time the the national media really went to town over Mm. it, but locally the story was more, oh, you know, everybody's overreacting. It wasn't that big a thing, but it turns out based on what I've been told from people in the dressing room after it was a big thing and it did affect how the players felt and, and how they viewed their manager and what the atmosphere in the dressing room was like. And, and again, things like that, I think that the book, the book can go into now because everybody's detached from the club. Everybody's left. There's that, you know, there's, it's, it's close enough for people to still be able to remember quite well, but, but there's enough distance for people be, to be able to speak freely because nobody's involved with the club anymore and and yeah I think that that's um that's something I was really really striving for with the book so I'm, I'm glad you feel yeah, that yeah, way. It's that, yeah. that kind of behind
1: the closed door access isn't it? Very, yeah. very but much yeah, so yeah. In, like yeah. in the playoff yeah. final that sense I didn't realise just how bad Michael Turner was, uh, sorry Wayne, uh, Wayne Brown, Wayne that, Brown yeah, yeah, playing on one leg essentially and, yeah, yeah, you know, and how was. everything was kind of was the team had sort of just dropped deeper and deeper just to cover? Kind of Very much compensate so, yeah. Him, yeah, you know, that, and, and that, you know
2: we had no cover for him, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and stuff like that. Th- those little
1: insights yeah. again. That and I think how normal the players just... were as well leading up to that game. Yeah, because you know, yeah, I remember that yeah. week leading up to a playoff final, you know, I, I didn't want to do anything and then sort of get to London and get to Wembley, and the players mm-hmm. are just carrying on like it's a normal game.
2: Yeah, there's, there's lovely little bits in there, you know, like the the uh, Boaz Mile and Matt Duke sort of talking about watching East is East, or, you know, watching yeah. the film East is East, and going to bed, and yeah. and the guys having like table tennis tournaments and things like that whereas I, I literally didn't sleep a week then a mm. week the night before because I was just terrified of the consequences of what was happening but the yeah. players obviously yeah, I was terrified of my the next day yeah, no, yeah I I that, because you just of go through that. all those things don't yeah. you and um yeah yeah but but it's yeah th- those little insights I think yeah just um the, the what that the, you know I very much aimed my questions to try to get those sorts of sort of in, insights into the book so um hopefully yeah that, that's that been delivered upon
1: <laughs> yeah and to, to take it back to the beginning of the decade I suppose it really starts in 2003 doesn't it with the new stadium I mean do, do you think it's kind of does the council get enough credit for what they did for the club
2: um no no I don't really um I was really happy to speak to Tom McVee yeah. in the book who was one of the councillors. I tried to get Paddy Doyle as well uh who was a, the, the big figure behind it um but yeah, I mean, you know, no stadium, none of this would have happened. Adam Pearson probably wouldn't have come in. You know, the Beaufort Park was as much as I absolutely love the place, and I would give anything to watch one more game at Beaufort Park. It was falling down when you know the the ball hit the roof of the best stand. You did have all the masonry falling down in your hair. It was just, it, it was, it was a bit of a, it was sad that it had been let to get you know left to get into that stage but it it was um derelict basically uh and we needed something to trigger so something at Hull city and 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 the council did that and and yeah it's it's a shame that the the relationship between the council and the club is what it is now because i don't think that the council's role in kickstarting this success that we've had you know you, you can't you can't forget that you shouldn't it's yeah. uh, it's been very important
1: yeah. How can you sort of pinpoint that one moment when you felt that whole City was on the way up? Because you know, obviously we moved in there in 2003, didn't we? And it was still a club that was kind of effectively going nowhere, wasn't it? That season was only yeah. petering out. It was the kind of moments on the way up to that before that playoff final? I,
2: I, think, I think that there, there are certain games where, you know, the, 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 the development was incremental. Yeah. And I think there are certain games where there were real sort of standouts where you just go, whoa, you know. Something specials happened there. There was the home win in two thousand and three against Swansea, which was a night match where you know there were, we had this twenty five thousand seats all stage seat stadium and and people were locked out you know and this was a club getting four thousand five six years previous to that you know that that was a sign something big is happening. There was the four two win at Sheffield Wednesday in two thousand december two thousand and four, where we took nobody knows how many we took because Sheffield Wednesday could not cope with, you know, it's scary at Hillsborough, obviously. Um, Sheffield Wednesday couldn't fit us in. Uh, and we took a, probably around, I think, 8,000 8, to 8,500. You know, we, we played scintillating football, 1-4-2. As Adam Pearson said, that was the night that made Hull City a force mm-hmm. in English football. So I think there was, the, the, those two games in the early stages certainly set us up. You know, that they, they were real power signs, you know, yeah. that, that something big was happening. Um, but but that, that to me then, e- even after those games, I was only... If, if I look back, I was only thinking, you know, we, we've got a chance here to maybe become a half-decent championship team again. Even at that point, I was never thinking, we're on the way to the Premier League. I probably didn't believe we were going to get in the premier league until we beat west brom 2-1 at the hawthorns in 2008 i think it was february march time um caleb folan scored a, a brilliant late winner you know we had about 3000 away fans there and we'd been on a good run of form but you were sort of waiting for 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 it to all to sort of for something to bring us back down to earth and that that game i think made us realize and and, and you know again the players felt the same that game made us realize that there wasn't a, a, any team in that that division was going to struggle to, to handle us if we turned up, which we did game after game after game for the rest of that season.
0: Fascinating always listening to two fans talk <laughs> with such passion. Because I'm always amazed at what you actually can recall from your heads. My, my youngest son is just the same. Yeah, he's a passionate uh, fan of Hull City and he can... He can recall dates, and names, and uh, mm. you not know, the order that the goals were scored in that yeah. sort of thing.
1: I can see them goals like Richard's talking about. My <laughs> we're talking about them. You know, they see Elliot header against Swansea yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. Bambi's yeah. volley at Hillsborough. Mm. Yeah. yeah, where yeah. where do
0: you feel you are on the sort of fandom scale? Are you? It's, sort of I mean, super, it's, super fan. Fanatic?
2: It's, it's very it's varied over time. Really, you know, I, I mean, in the when I was a kid, I just didn't miss an, a home game, but wasn't going to away games, and then you know started going to going to away games more in the 90s and then when I moved to London I was going to more away games and home games at the moment because I've got two very young children it's difficult for me to get to quite so many games so I'm probably as low as I've been for a little while but my eldest is six Joshua and he's just started going to he's been to three away games now and absolutely loved it so you know so I'll start picking it up again now that I won't you know be away from the kids for a day of a weekend you know it. so um so I think as, as your life changes it it, it sort of you struggle a little bit at times to get to as many games as you would like to go to, but you always know that, like, you know, that, that will come again. Um, so Hull City, and now, you know, I'm a Hull City fan, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then that's never going to change. But at the same time, you know, it, just how, how physical that support is, just it, it depends on what stage in life you're at and what other responsibilities you have, I suppose, at the moment you know, I have to be a dad before anything else. And I can't, you know, if I'm working five days a week, I can't just go off for another day and say goodbye to the kids or my wife because um yes the punishment would be yeah, <laughs> severe. <laughs> um so so yeah so it, it, it's varied but yeah I'm looking forward to the day when both my sons and myself and hopefully my wife as well if I can persuade her, will be up in sticks and going off to the you know my, my favorite away days were always like the Bournemouths and the Torquays and the South Ends and things like that where you can
0: have a bit of fun around the game as well and, and going off and doing that together very, very important. Really phenomenal that Hull got into the Premier League. But mm. how important was that for the city of Hull itself? What have people told you about that? Um, I, I think it it gave. I mean, Hull had a real image problem
2: in the nineties. I think you know, and, and and it was it was all just silly things. You know, like that that dreadful arrogant crap towns book, which you know, I think it was about 80 people deciding on what the crappiest town was. It was meaningless, but for some reason it got into the national psyche and, and it was just, just nonsense, you know, and, and I think whole people are very defensive around about the city because of that. And, and, and rightly so, you know, Hull, I, I love Hull. I don't know. I've moved to London, but Hull will never not be my home. It will never not be the, the, you know, I still read the whole Daily Mail webpage every day. All of my Twitter things are Hull based, you know, I, I'll never not be a Hullensian. Um And, and, but when I would speak to people in London, I moved to London in 2003. And for all that time, you know, you people would, you know, you, you mentioned you're from Hull. It would be it. Crap Towns, John Prescott, a little bit about the football and a little bit about the Rugby League. And, and that would pretty much be it. But But then it just sort of started, you know, after 2008. And immediately people would go to Dean Winders. They would go to things like Phil Brown's halftime team talk. That was their instant thing, and that's just gone on and on and on and developed and developed and developed. The City of Culture thing, you know that that was all. You know, nobody's mentioned the Crap Town thing to me in London for a long time now. It's it is the city. Oh yeah, Hull was the City of Culture, wasn't it? Oh, well, what happened? What you know? And 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 I think that. There's been a lot of positives for Hull over the past decade, but Hull City getting into the Premier League was the first. And the other things might have happened had Hull not Hull City not gone into the Premier League. But, but you can't help but, you know, there's just all the, you know, the Siemens factory, even like Luke Campbell winning Olympic gold, things like that. Hull FC winning back-to-back Challenge Cup finals. The, you know, it's just been this real sort of decade of... of good news really and 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 it has altered the the city's image as far as i you know from my experiences living being a, a holensian in london um and, and and yeah it just it just gave you know people something else to notice about hull that was a positive rather than the many negatives that seemed to have just been emanating from the national media for for what seemed like far too
0: long have you actually gone about writing the book? Uh, it's a huge tone, isn't it? Like, it's, there, sitting yes. on your back, it's quite a yeah. weighty sort of book. Has mm. taken a lot of effort to write. Are you an early morning writer? Uh, you write in the evening when the kids have gone to bed?
2: I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a tube train writer. Um, I, I, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I live in North London um, and you know, would have an hour, an hour and a half on the tube every day and that was put to very good use sort of writing this you know the the interviews were done on evenings or weekends that you know or, or I would take days off and come up to Hull and try to interview three or four players in in a day um and then sort of my yeah um right I've got got a very sort of understanding and Whereby you know, if there was a, a fairly quiet day, I could maybe just sit there and spend a, an hour or so just quickly writing up an interview or something like that. So it was, it was one of those things of just fitting it in when I could. You know, in this time, you know, we've also have moved house, had another child, you know, and sort of had had lots of other things. But um you know, it's, I, I've just been so passionate about it, and I've just loved doing it so much. And I think if you love doing something, then then the time that it takes doesn't really matter because it's it becomes a hobby rather than, than, than yeah. you know, sort of a, a, a commitment. It's just something that, you know, I, I couldn't... Particularly when I was writing my bits, I just couldn't wait to get around to those because I just... I love writing, and I love writing about Whole City. And, and, and so it was... It sort of... It, it was difficult really to, you know, I'd, I'd like be out running and come up with like a really good idea for a paragraph and, and sort of get home as quickly as I could and quickly jot it down and things like that. So it, it varied really as to, to when I would write, but um, it was just any opportunity I got because it was just such a, such a lovely thing to, to be able to work on.
0: You've interviewed over a hundred people. Um, yes. Was there anyone on your list that you haven't managed to speak to? Um,
2: there
0: was, there was
2: one for purely personal reasons, um, and Nick will maybe, uh, back me up on this, but I really desperately want to speak to Tony Norman, who was... Hulse is his legendary goalkeeper of the eighties. And I absolutely loved, he was like one of my first heroes. I've spoken to a lot of my he- early heroes from the eighties, people like Billy Whitehurst and Billy Askew and, 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 you know, the, the Pete Skipper who very recently sadly passed away. But um, Tony was like, he's just he's a real hero. And I was, I was a ball boy once uh, in 1985 at a game and he was just so lovely to all the ball boys. He was just such a fantastic guy. And unfortunately he's been very ill recently. Uh, and, I just couldn't get him. So that was more of a personal thing for me. I don't think the book necessarily, you know, he was from a time before the focus period of the book from the decade itself. There was only Jan Molby, who was the club's manager for 17 games, but made three of the, biggest signings of the decade in that time he signed Ian Ashby the club's legendary captain Stuart Elliott who you know was a one-man goal machine in in the 2004-2005 season and Stuart Green who was a very effective attacking midfielder for us but he he, he was such a, defi- a divisive presence in the camp um put a lot of noses out of joint uh and you know I think he managed just for 17 games can you remember Nick it was how many it was a, spare, uh, yeah I mean it, it was it was nothing um and was was sacked but he's also a very big media personality and i just tried and tried and tried to get him i tried contacting liverpool where he does a lot of work the liverpool post uh his wife on twitter i managed to speak to his son on linkedin and had a very brief conversation but then that line went dead as well so he was the only person who i was who who that sort of that completionist in me, you know, when I look at the book, I just sort of think ah, it would have just been nice to get him. A lot of, you know, to their absolute credit, a lot of, there are a lot of people who, who had, you know, for their time at Hull City is is a pretty much a low light of their career. People like Phil Parkinson, who was a similar manager to Mulby and that he was only there for a few months, but made some very big signings, spoke to him and he was fantastic. Very honest, very, really nice guy. Um, Mark Hately, who, uh, I can see Nick wincing, um, <laughs> who, who managed us for a year and a half. I, I say managed us. He yeah. was might good at walking football. Be, I think, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was an really interesting interview with him because uh, he seems to think he did a, a good job, but he left us six points adrift at the bottom of the bottom table. So, so uh, yeah. Um, so, so, But yeah, so it was a real shame I didn't get Jan Mulby, but I think um, I, I've, I've got way more than I could have dreamt I would have got when I started out on the book. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to beat myself up too much
0: on that one. <laughs> so there won't be a revised edition coming out in-
2: there will be a revised edition once I've got through all the very minor errors that are going to really niggle at me, uh, and, and I will uh, I will redo that because it's a self-published book on Amazon, so I can just go in and correct them and re- redo all of that. So, um, yeah, I, 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 there will be a slightly revised edition, but I, I, I want to um, keep it in this form, I think, as much as possible, largely because, you know, people have already bought it and and, you know, I don't want to necessarily anything yeah, i'm so great so it's, it's 20 pound is a lot of money i know that um for all a lot of it's going to charity and it is a very very big book and hopefully people will feel that it's value for money 20 pound is still a lot of money and i don't necessarily want people to feel that there's something better out there that they could have got when they've paid all that money for the book so um there'll be very 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 light revisions if anything yes <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So people can buy it online through Amazon. Yes. And I'll be putting the link on the web page when the Thank podcast you. goes out. Mm-hmm. Um, are you meeting people face-to-face for any sales too, any events?
2: Yeah, um, well, I mean, just to... The book will hopefully be on sale in Waterstones very soon in Hull and the Cup Price Bookshop, I think I've got the name right, in Beverly, um, And that, uh, we're hoping to sell them in Dove House shops as well throughout East Yorkshire. Uh, and then we have very exciting launch night on this coming Saturday, May the 4th, at 7.30pm at Mr. Chews, where um, I will be there. We will be selling books uh, and we will have several legends of uh, from the club's history attending. Um, so... Promises to be a great night. You can just turn up, buy the book, get it signed, and sort of hang around and things. You can, if you want to book a table to have something to eat, I think you need to ring Mister Chews, and I think it's ten pound per head to have access to the buffet. But um, yeah, it should. It's all done through um, the Hull City Supporters Trust, which is the independent fan group. Um, So yeah, it promises to be a great night, and we're yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Any other burning questions from you, Nick? Before we Uh, close, well, I think I'd have to ask Richard about
1: his. It's probably his favourite whole city moment in that decade. Is there one particular? Maybe not a lot of the playoff final.
2: No, I, I, I didn't enjoy the playoff final.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I
2: sat there feeling desperately sick for the whole thing, and by the time the final whistle had gone, I was just spent. I just couldn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I from the second Dean Windows's goal went in. I just felt like my heart was sitting in the pit of my stomach. It was, it was one of the greatest days of my life, and I hated every second. Um, the, I, I think the Ian Ashby goal at Yeovil. I was at Yeovil that day, um, and just to explain to the uninitiated, basically Hull City had had nineteen years without a promotion, which in English football is quite an achievement, um, and. You know, we'd been last promoted, I think, 1985, was it, when we got promoted from... That was my first season. Yeah. Um, And then we had a few good years, and then we'd sort of experienced the 90s, which was one crashing low after the next. You know, we nearly went out of business four or five times, and it was just disaster after disaster after disaster. Adam Pearson took over, we moved to the KC, but still things couldn't get going. You know, we kept going through managers and we just couldn't get anything right. And it just felt like this, the club was cursed. And then we just had this season where... Everything worked, we've got Peter Taylor in as manager, we've got some great players in. and um, and when we got that first promotion after nineteen years, it came um through a very late goal from our captain Ian Ashby. And I think when that goal went in, you could celebrate the goal for it being a goal, but you could also celebrate it because you knew we were up at that moment. And and you know, we'd but people like myself and Nick had been through, you know, we we'd gone to the the Macclesfields and the Torquays and places like that and seen us lose four or five nil and just You've gone through all these depressing things, and and it was this first ray of light after nineteen years of you know of, of just a hell really as far as football football support goes, and it was um, so yeah that, that I think that is of the decade is is the probably my favourite moment because you could just celebrate it for what it was within that time, but it just meant everything, you know, a, a, a goal to secure a promotion from the fourth tier in the grand scheme of things, isn't that great? But given the context, given what Hull City had been through for nearly two decades beforehand, that just, yeah, I think that was probably the moment that that I was the most euphoric, certainly. (laughs)
0: That's been a fascinating listen. Um, I always sort of love just watching and listening to people so passionate uh, about their particular topic. Mm. Thanks so much, Richard, for coming in.
2: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank Thank you you
0: very much. If you'd like to follow Richard and uh, pitch questions to him, you'll find him on Twitter at Richard Garden.
2: Yes, that's, yeah.
0: Yep, That's them. right, isn't yeah, it? Yes, yep. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I'll make sure those the, the <laughs> links are on the webpage anyway. Thank you. Uh, thanks also to Nick for coming in. Oh, always nice to talk about a whole city. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good. Um, I've been Jerome Whittingham. This has been another News podcast. I hope you'll join us again sometime soon. Bye for now.